Welcome to the Church Podcast, talking all things ministry so you can do church better. I'm your co-host, Chris Wesley, joined by John Ronaldo. John, how is it going this time of year? Uh, This time of year is busy. It's good because uh, spring, beginning of summer, like there's just a lot going on. And so uh, it's exciting time. Uh, School's ending, sacraments, but uh, just really excited about summer. There's a lot of cool things that are happening this summer for us as a family, personally, professionally. So uh, yeah, I, I'm ready, man. Life is life is good right now. Very feeling blessed. Feeling blessed. Yeah, it definitely is that season of like I feel like rush, stop, rush, stop, rush, stop. Because <laughs> you know we're recording this in May, and there's a lot of college graduations. Um, depending on where you are in the country, there are high school graduations going on. Um, there's also yeah the sacraments like you mentioned, first communion at our parish. First communion was like two weeks ago. Confirmation was this past weekend. And then uh, you've got a bunch of weddings peppered in there. And then, um, of course, uh, most dioceses, I think all dioceses, right, uh, have, their, um, have their ordinations for the diaconate and uh, some for the priesthood are in June, but like pretty much around this time of year. So it's, uh, it is really a season of sacraments for most dioceses, uh, most churches. And, uh, and yeah, it, what an appropriate thing to talk about. And, you know, we're just going to dive right into it because I think there's a lot to, to pull back here. We're going to talk about uh, not just uh, the sacraments, but two in particular. And John, why don't you break it down exactly why we're going to talk about those uh, things and what spawned this conversation for today? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, I've been writing articles for the Vocation and Prayer magazine that's based out of Southern California. Uh, and and they've been doing a whole series on young people. And so I, I've wrote a series of different stuff, some one on social media, one on youth ministry and why young people are disaffiliated. Uh, but they wanted me to write one particularly on vocations and commitment, specifically they named you know, the vocation uh, to the priesthood and vocation to marriage. Uh, and so that got me really thinking because as I started to do some research around uh, this particular uh, question of commitment, uh, it really got my mind going all sorts of different directions. It really got, I just got fascinated by some of the data and statistics around some of this. Uh, and then the question is, is why, right? That my editors basically said, why do you think young people uh, have a commitment problem? I said, that's a really interesting question. You know, and of course, it's not just a vocation question, right, Chris? I mean, it's really a, a bigger question. And so, uh, yeah, so I, I wrote this article and I, I entitled it, We Don't Have a Vocation Problem, We Have a Commitment Problem. Mm. Uh, and I was thinking the other day, uh, Father Ron, who is the director of vocations for the Diocese of Las Vegas, he came and, and spoke at our parish. And, and he, it's funny, he, he said the same thing. He was speaking on vocations and he said, you know, in this particular context, he said, we don't have a vocation problem. We have a listening problem, he said. And, and he was basically saying, we're all called to a vocation, whether it's marriage, priesthood, religious life, friendship, all these things that we're called to um, but we don't listen to God's calling for us, which is a very, very good point. And it got me thinking around that. And I said, okay, well, if we have a, if we don't have a vocation problem, we have a listening problem. Well, then I would, I would second that and say, yes. And we have a commitment problem because Chris, when I looked at the stats and this is all from Kara, you know, I looked at the stats basically in 1970, 
we had 59,192 priests in the diocese, or not in the diocese, in, in the United States of America. That's both diocesan and religious priests. And that was kind of the high point. That's what they say, 1970, 59,192. And in 2018, that number has declined to 36,580. So that's a drop of 38%. I was like, okay, you know, we, we kind of know that because we kind of keep talking about that as church, a drop in vocations, a drop in priesthood. But I decided to look at uh, the numbers of, of marriages, Catholic marriages specifically, and Kara's got this data as well. And so again, 1970, there were 426,309 Catholic marriages. Okay, don't get wrapped around that number too much. That was 1970, 426,000 marriages. But in 2018, the number dropped to 143,000 Catholic marriages. So that is a drop of 66%. So stop for a second. And we put all this energy, as we should, on priestly vocations and why the numbers are dropping at 38%. But yet we have a drop of 66% of Catholic marriages over the same amount of time. That's dramatic, and I, I think it should make all of us kind of turn our heads and go, hey, what's going on here? And, and I think the question for us, Chris, is I, I don't think it's a vocation problem. I mentioned it's a commitment problem, but it's, it's really a question of the culture we're in. I think it's a product of the culture that we're in. And, and, and so I, I throw that out for conversation today. It's just like I think, I think it's worthy for us to think about and talk about in this podcast. Yeah, yeah, and as you're sharing with me those stats, and, and I know we were talking about this before we hit record, um, a couple of things went into my head, and, and you know, I, I think there's a tendency to say, okay, let's justify the stats, right? So, like, let's just go down that path first. Let's start with the um, priesthood, go down that path, and then um, talk about whether those are legit or not, right? So, you could look at, um, you know, in regards to um, with the priesthood, uh, the the drop, and I've heard this before from other clergy, is that they started to get more um, more strict in their policy of who they led into formation and who they didn't, like more psych, psych, psychiatric evaluation and, um, you know, looking at uh, the mental health of men who were going into the seminary. And, um, <clears throat> and part of that was a response to things that were happening with the abuse scandals, but also just the more that we learned about human de development, because, you know, you and I know, even though we're not uh, priests, that uh, we've worked for priests and, and the role or the life of a priest can be very tasking. And it can be one filled with isolation, not that, you know, a married person or, you know, a lay single person can't be, but, you know, it can be very isolating. Um, and so, going through that kind of evaluation process might be more stringent, but you're, you said it was like, what, 38%? 38% decline in priesthood from 1970 yeah. to 2018. So that wouldn't necessarily, that would justify some of it, but maybe not all of it. Mm -hmm. So the entry point, it has been that as well. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it could also just uh, simply be because of the decline of how many Catholics there are, um, you know, in this, uh, in this country. Um, and with that number, you know, dropping down uh, just, you can see atrophy happen, you know, just naturally over time. So those are like the only two kind of like thoughts that I would have um, in that regards. Um, but, you know, you talk about it being a commitment problem or a listening problem. I also think it's a communication problem as well, because, you know, as a youth minister, I can talk to my students about 
the life of a priest or religious life in general, but I can't speak from experience. So that doesn't mean I shouldn't speak about it and shouldn't recommend it or encourage young men and women to pursue that life, but I can't speak from that path. We need our priests, our current priests, our current religious to be advocating and to be, you know, uh, working with families and, and partnering with people to help them do that. So that's where I would say it's a communications problem. Mm-hmm. All right. So that, that's, that's the priestly vocation. So I'm going to give you the option. Do we want to stay there and move over to, uh, or do we want to move over to marriage? I, I kind of, well, we could talk about marriage. I, you know, uh, let's talk about priesthood there for a second though, because you could say there's a decline in priests, uh, priestly vocations in certain areas and part of his decline in uh, in population growth, but what we know the data is is also showing that there are some areas of the country that are booming in Catholic population. So, perfect example that's where I am right now, diocese of Las Vegas. I mean, we can't spring up churches fast enough. I mean, that's because of migration and uh, people moving from the East Coast to the West Coast, the Southwest. People move from California, where it's ex- a little bit more expensive, to to Nevada, Arizona, New Mexico, things like that. You know, so. So that argument uh, may work in some of these dioceses that do have a decline in numbers, but what about the dioceses that have an increase in numbers? So mm. Las Vegas has uh, over 600,000 Catholics in the diocese, uh, and that's a huge increase over the past uh, couple decades, but yet our priestly vocations are, are still down. And so, you know, I, I, don't, I just don't think there's the cause and effect there of declining number of Catholics equal declining number of priests, if you get what I'm saying there. Yeah, I do, but you have to look at it as a whole, right? Not how many Catholics are in Las Vegas, but how many Catholics are in the, in the country, right? Sure. And, and the decline in that. Um, but, the, but then what, what we're saying is that vocations should be booming in Vegas because we've had a huge increase in, in the Catholic population, but that's just not the case. The vocation of the priesthood is not as high. <laughs> yeah, but it's not like those Catholics in Las Vegas are just emerging from the earth. You know, they're moving from other areas. You know, sure. so so I don't know. I don't know. I, I mean, <laughs> I, I hear your point, but I don't necessarily agree with it. But um, yeah, I mean, uh, right. And I think you know, it, it's funny because yeah, look at the commitment. Right, um, you're committing yourself to the church. You're committing yourself to a life of celibacy and chastity. And I mean, we're all committing to a life of chastity, but like. Um, we're committing our lives in a very different way and very countercultural where, you know, take marriage, for example, even though the decline is bigger, uh, to be married is a little bit normal, whether you're Catholic or not, versus to be a, you know, uh, single celibate man, you know, that's 24-7 dedicated to a community. Like there's no other profession or like area that I, I can think of, you know, um, there are different religions similar to that, but you know, it, it's, it's pretty unique. Uh, it, it's unique, you know, it's unique in that, in that realm. And so the, that's why I go back to, yeah, it, it is a commitment, but it's also a communications thing, right? Like we're not communicating the church isn't, I think doing a great job of communicating like why this is a calling that if you have even a little bit of a calling, why you should discern it, why it should be an option, why it should be on the plate. Mm-hmm. And, and some of that's not just on the church. Some of that's as parents, right? So like I've always joked with people having two sons, I was always pleased to have two sons because it's like, oh, great. One gets to carry on my name and the other one gets to be a priest, right? <laughs> nice. And uh, my wife and I sometimes joke and be like, all right, you know, 
this one's a troublemaker. So he's going to be, uh, he, he needs the other one to be a priest so that he can often get absolution and forgiveness and everything like that. And, you know, you can create a movie of their lives and, and whatnot. But I mean, in all seriousness, uh, you know, people have asked like, what, what if your sons want to be priests? And, you know, I, I can say now, like I'd be open to it and support them and everything like that. I don't know if there's a grandparent itch in me that like, if both of them chose celibate, you know, uh, priestly lives that I'd be okay with that. But, you know, again, it, I think we see, you know, I've heard parents before that say things like I, I would never want my kid to be a priest or I would never want them to choose that priesthood. And maybe some of that's tied with the kind of the rap that um, priests are getting these days and, you know, religious are getting. And, and part of it's the fact that they want grandkids. They want to see their names carried on and, and uh, generations and generations to come and forgetting that when we become parents, we're actually stewards that we're evangelizers over young people to follow God's calling, not for our own selfish desires, right? But for, for what God asks us to do. So, yeah, yeah. I, yeah, I think there's a whole bunch that goes into this. That's why yeah. it's not the uh, easy fix. No, it's not an easy fix. And we're not pretending we're going to have the solution in this 30-minute podcast. Uh, but I think the parent thing is, is really well said. That We, at, at our parish here in Vegas, we each time we begin a mass, we pray the prayer of vocations that we use. And, and I'm not going to read the entire thing, but you had mentioned the role of parents, right? And one of the lines that we have in our vocation prayer is this, give their parents that faith, love, and spirit of sacrifice, which will inspire them to offer their children to God's service and to rejoice whenever one of their children is called to the priesthood or religious life. So I really appreciate that the diocese put that line in there because it recognizes exactly what you said, Chris. It's not just about young people choosing, but it's also the role and the influence of parents, which I, I think is very, very important. I mean, I, I know I'm still, I, I, I'm, I'm 40 and I am affected by uh, the opinion of my parents. One parent has passed and I still think about how he's affected me and the other one's still alive and she calls me and tells me what she thinks and like, and I, and I care about that. Right. You know? So, so I think it's an important piece, uh, you know, but I want to kind of get to this idea a little bit of, of, of young people get a bad rap. Okay. Part of this oh, yeah. question of commitment is and poor, poor millennials, you know, I'm on the cusp, right? So I'm kind of like that mostly Gen Xer, but I'm kind of millennial depends on which so book you, you want to read. So a generation. I know I can't commit. Yeah, That's just, just the way commit, I can't, I can't, even must be a millennial. My, I can't even commit to my astrological sign because I'm right on the cusp. So anyway, so, uh, but you, Chris, <laughs> you are a millennial, right? Because you're a couple of years younger than me, right? Depends on what book you read. Again, it depends on what book you read, yep. but yeah, I mean. But, but, but you also work with young people, you know, young adults and youth, and, as well as I do on, on different occasions over the years. What is it about this commitment question? You know, do you see young people, do you see this idea of lack of commitment in young people in your ministry or even in your own life? Uh, and what does that look like? What's your experience with that? Yeah, you know, I call it the diner menu effect. Like, um, you know, growing up in Jersey and anyone who's been to like a real diner, you open up their menu and there is just a thousand different choices. Like, you know, at a, a Jersey diner, you can order anything from a bagel with schmear on it to lobster tail, twin lobster tail and filet mignon, right? And it's just, it's ridiculous. And uh, unless you have your go-to, um, it can be very paralyzing on like what to pick and what to choose. 
And, and that's, that's the world we live in right now where, um, you know, it really is, it's not a fear of missing out as much as it is just like, I just don't even know what to choose anymore. Right. It's like, I don't even care about missing out on something. I just, just tell me what to do. And so, um, you know, I know in youth ministry, we struggle to get students to engage in activities because, um, it, especially if we can't communicate the inherent value of that. Um, and so it's not that students aren't willing to commit. Um, it's that we haven't done a good enough job of telling them why they should commit, why they, it should even be an option on their plate. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we give young people a bad rap for not committing, but I think the blame goes on all of us in the fact that we just don't do a good job communicating where, mm -hmm. you know, uh, just to stay in the youth ministry realm years ago, like maybe when you and I were teenagers, right? Um, you played sports, but but then like if you wanted to do social things, church was an option. I, for me, church was an option, right? Church was something where I was like, you know what? I need to make friends. I can make friends at church. There's youth group. There's youth ministry. It's a Friday night. I don't care. It's a Sunday night. I don't care. There's not really many other options out there. But um, nowadays, it there, like I know I was talking about the Catholic schools around us and even the public schools have so many events going on the weekends, you know, reaching out to the alumni, reaching out to um, the, their students saying like, come to this dance, come to this event, come to this movement. I feel like schools have taken over a lot. I feel like sporting events have taken over a lot. Um, and there's just so much for our culture to do that they can't commit because they can't even decide, they can't even clear their minds enough to decide like, what they should and shouldn't do. And so it's, it's like throwing darts at a dartboard in the dark, you know, and you're hoping you hit the right, you hit the bullseye. So that's my thought. I, I agree a hundred percent. Actually, that was one of the four things I wrote about when I talked about why is there a lack of commitment is choices. And I think it's part, it's our culture. It's our technology, right? Our first world uh, world that we live in here is that we expect choice. Uh, and when we expect choice, it's difficult to stick to one thing, whether it's a career a spouse or a jar of peanut butter, right? And I hate going to the store, right? If I don't know which peanut butter, I'm looking for some sort of peanut butter. Actually, for me, it's medicine. When my wife sends me to the store to go get medicine, I'm just like, there are so many choices. And honestly, it takes me forever to figure out which one I'm supposed to get. Uh, it is, it, it's paralyzing. Choice is paralyzing. Um, and when you lock into a choice, that means you uh, remove the freedom to choose something else uh, later. Uh, and that's especially true with a vocation to marriage or the priesthood, right? So right. The, yeah, absolutely. I, I agree with that wholeheartedly, this idea of choice. One of the other things that's, I think, really connected with choice that I think is, is a part of the culture that we're in today is, is a desire for control. Uh, I don't know about you, Chris, but I, this is me. Like when I'm getting my kids up in the morning, getting them ready for school, like I want them to we don't have a lot of time, right? We got to go. So they need to change, they need to brush their teeth, they need to eat breakfast. There's no time to mess around. For me, it's a control issue. And I have to learn to let some of that go because they're young children, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> You're nodding your head mm -hmm. in understanding. So, yep. Yep. You know? but, but there is in this society, and part of it is uh, due to technology and whatnot, is we have this desire for control. We want to control our environment. So connect that to priesthood and marriage. Well, that's in some ways the antithesis of of control because uh, you know in 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 priesthood i am committing uh to obedience i take the vow of obedience to my bishop or to my uh my religious leader or whatnot and, and i have to do what 
this person says. In some sense, that's actually true in marriage too, in the idea of this vow of obedience, because it's this this give and take, right? I can't control my spouse, you know, just like I can't control my kids. And so part of the conversation around why there's a lack of commitment is we desire control and, and we don't want to commit to anything that's going to make us have less control over our lives. Yeah. I mean, I think that's the new drug, right? Is control. Cause look at our culture and what's in the news, like everything from abortion to assisted life, a suicide, you know, like, um, or assistant suicide where we want to, we want to control everything from, you know, who, <laughs> what gets born to what dies, you know, and, or who dies. And, and, um, I mean, you can and, even bring up the college admission scandals. A part of right. that. I want to college control admission. getting my kid to right. college. You know? Right. Uh, you look at sports, look at, um, just, yeah, just look at everything. I want to have absolute control over what I do. And that's what we sell. Like, that's what marketers sell, right? Control your, control your finances, control uh, everything. And if you can't control it, if there's not an opt out, then I'm not going to want to commit to that. Right. And, and that's the thing, um, you know, moving over to marriage, right? Like scripture teaches us, or the sacrament teaches us that when man and woman join together, they become one flesh, right? And that's why divorce is so painful is because, um, you know, you're separating that bond and that union and everything. And while like from a, on paper or like a logistical standpoint, yeah, divorce can be just signing a document and you separate it. There's so much emotional, spiritual, and and, and even physical ties between the two people that, um, you know, you can't control how you're going to feel like when that break, you know, ends up. And so, you know, yeah, you're seeing more and more people just go into lifelong uh, committed relationships um, with that don't lead to marriage. Right. Um, uh, you know, how many people do you know who you're kind of like, why don't they just get married? They've been together for eight years or 10 years or 12 years, you know, and, um, and all they need to do is just embrace the sacrament, which, you know, again, diving into that sacrament, I think, and this goes back to a communication thing. People don't realize that the sacrament of marriage is meant to help you in that commitment, right? It's not just, you're making a commitment that cannot be broken, but you're, that you're inviting God into that relationship that God is blessing and sending his grace into that relationship so that when, you know, any kind of sin or uh, just trial creeps its way into the marriage that you can rely on God to carry you through. Um, I, I feel like when I realized that uh, to me, having a sacramental marriage became that much more important. Right. And so when I see friends or family members who are getting married outside the church, I'm like, what are you doing? Like you're, it's almost like you're refusing the best part that comes with that marriage. Right. And that's God's grace. Like it, you're denying him from entering into that marriage or allowing him to, you know, fuel that marriage with the spirit by saying like, God, I don't want you to be a part of it, but that's like the best part of marriage is seeing how God grows the two of you into that one flesh and, and, and so forth. I like going off on this tangent here, but I, I think again, that's where it comes back to, I, I do think it's a choice thing, a control thing, but I also think it's a communication thing as well. Mm-hmm. Well, and that, that last piece that you talked about in terms of God and that, the, the, that God and the sacrament uh, help in the commitment to marriage. But yet we know, Chris, and we've talked about it numerous times in this podcast, data suggests that young people especially are disaffiliating from the church at astronomical rates. And part of it is because the church and God in their eyes is not relevant to life. 
So if God, if the church is not relevant to me in any way, shape or form, well, then why would I certainly, why would I even consider priesthood? Right. Right. You know, but two, why would I consider getting married in the church? And, and again, you know, that caveat about that 66% decline in marriages is Catholic marriages. So it's marriages in the, uh, in the context of the Catholic church, people are obviously still getting married, although there's numbers out there that showing that's declining as well. But uh, again, we're talking from a Catholic context, but if the church and God are not relevant, well, yeah, of course I'm not going to become a priest. Of course I'm not going to get married in the church. Why would I? Uh, And that just goes back to some of our previous conversations that we've had, uh, uh, you know, in terms of, uh, there's no conversion, right? There's been no transformation in the lives of young people. And, and that's on us as leaders, I think, quite honestly, if right. we're not modeling that and inspiring that and showing the difference that the church and God make in our lives, then, then why would our young people want to, to do that? And so I think that's part of the commitment issue we have. Well, it's tough, you know, just focusing on marriage for a second. Um, you know, I, I think also another thing that pulls people out of, um, you know, getting married in the church is the fact that I, if like, if they don't see the inherent value of getting married in the, in the church, universal church, uh, the, then the physical church kind of doesn't seem like a, a big option unless that church is pretty, um, you know, so they're looking at different venues and the whole wedding culture out there through Pinterest and, you know, different things like that, um, you know, gives these other options. And if they're like, if, you know, I, I've seen our diocese now start to designate certain areas outside of the church building where priests can perform um, uh, sacramental marriages uh, or or weddings. And so I think, um, you know, uh, there is a little bit of uh, adaptability that the church needs to go through to to cater to some of those things. But again, it comes back to like, all right, yes, you might not be able to have the hanging light bulbs and the, you know, uh, uh, artistic tables and centerpieces and everything like that if you have to go through a church or, you know, your church uh, reservation might not match up with your dining hall reservation or, you know, the church might not have a dining hall that you can like have your wedding in. you know, it, it makes it tough. It, 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 I, I think, again, it comes back to all these choices and options and things that we have um, and it makes it difficult. All right. So now that we've totally uh, demoralized people. <laughs> We're just providing information. (laughs) Yeah, but you know, it's kind of like walk away from it and you can throw your hands up in the air and be like, so what? You know? Yeah, yeah. So I I think some practical steps you can walk away with is, you know, and let's talk to DREs and youth ministers and children's ministers. I think we have to talk about marriage and um, even sexuality different in our our churches. And and that's not just for marriage, but for priesthood as well. Um, I think it's, you know, Focusing on that, yeah, while priests are taking a, a vow of celibacy, we're all called to chastity, right? And talking about what does that look like? And the fact that marriage isn't the option where you get to have sex, you know, like, and sex is this free form sort of thing. But I think we have to talk about, you know, it goes back to theology of the body and, and exactly uh, who we are as, uh, as individuals. I think we also have to start talking to young people about vocations and not just priestly and marriage vocations, but what it means to have a vocation in life. Because I think the more that we can tap into our unique calling, um, the more we can then open ourselves up to what God is asking us to do, not just with our our jobs, but with our relationships. And and that's the thing about priesthood and marriage, right? Those are very relational based. Um, Even being a priest, while there is a job aspect of it, it's it's more of a relation. It's a very relational calling that God is asking us to do. And and a book I, I highly recommend is Unrepeatable 
by uh, Luke Burgess and uh, Joshua, Dr. Uh, Joshua Miller. Um, and uh, um, it, it's just all talking about God's unique calling for our lives. And so I think youth ministers, DREs, uh, anyone who's working with the next generation, we have to talk differently about vocations. We have to talk differently about uh, sexuality and our own unique identity. And the last thing with that that I would mention too is, um, you know, we have to we have to introduce our young people to men and women who are living out those those vocations, whether it's marriage or priesthood, and have them witness more of like how embracing those sacraments. And those callings have impacted their life and why God was a huge part of that. And not to say like, Hey, yeah, here's seminary and so-and-so but have some seminary and so-and-so give his witness talk of like why he's becoming a priest and what he's wrestling through. Or if there's a married couple that are volunteers in your children's or youth ministry, have them talk about like why it was important to get married in the church and just share more of those stories. Mm-hmm. So that's where I think we can, we can start. Yeah, no, I like that a lot. And and just one last thing that I would share in terms of some steps is if you have not read Pope Francis's latest document, uh, Christ is Alive, uh, read that. Chapter eight is dedicated to the idea of vocation and the wide sense of vocation, right? And he talks about the idea of vocation to to friendship with others, a vacation to love and family, to work, uh, you know, and, and, and so read that. I, I would say all of us should be reading that. And I'd say, secondly, read chapter nine too, because that's a whole chapter on discernment. And, and so I really want to point people to that. Uh, again, crisis is alive. It's for free on the Vatican website. Go find it out. Just read chapters eight and nine on, on vocation and discernment. And uh, I think there's some some real good wisdom there uh, from our Pope to to talk about this particular issue. Chris, Definitely. thanks thanks for uh, uh, amusing, not amusing me. What's the word? I can't even think of it. Thanks for allowing me to to talk about this. It was just something I got passionate about when I was doing this research for this article, and so I'm glad we were able to to share about it and talk about it here on the Church Podcast. Yeah, no, not a problem. I mean, uh, I, I think it's a it's a topic worth uh, worth exploring. Um, you know, I especially think about that with my own journey. And, you know, I see this just to get a little personal in my own family, all of us older uh, cousins and siblings, you know, uh, I think about my grandparents, we all got married in the church, right? And then as the younger generations came, like that became fewer and fewer and fewer to the point where it's not that they don't care about God, but that that value um, has been lost. Mm-hmm. And I, not to say that those who, of us who are older understood that value, but um, uh, it, it's, it's definitely, there needs to be, uh, we need to come alongside people and a, again, clarify what the commitment entails, uh, that while we might lose control over certain things, we can have faith and, and take joy in the fact that God is controlling everything. And the beauty that comes from uh, either the uh, priesthood or a, uh, a married life. Um, so yeah, thanks for bringing this up. And uh, if you guys have questions or thoughts that you want to share with us, definitely email us at questions at the churchpodcast.org. You can visit our website, the churchpodcast.org or subscribe to us on iTunes, leave us reviews, let us know how we're doing. Um, just look for the church church podcast with John Ronaldo and Chris Wesley. If you want to reach out to us, uh, you can find John at all things, John Ronaldo um, or johnrinaldo.com and you can find me on all things social media at marathon youth ministry or you go to my website marathonyouthministry.com uh and again just continue to pour into those young people and thank you for all that you do for the church whether it's a volunteer or as a fully paid professional or 
as a priest and as a religious. Thank you so much for what you do and know that you're in our prayers. John, I'll close this out with prayer. How about that? All right. Yeah. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. Heavenly Father, we ask that uh, you continue to pour down your grace so that we can take faith, so that we can have trust, uh, Lord, in your plan for our lives. And, and God, I ask that you give us the courage to surrender uh, our own wants and our own desires so that they can become your wants and your desires. God, I, I pray that you guide us and you lead us uh, down the path that uh, will not only uh, give us the most joy, Lord, but tap into uh, that vocation, that calling that you've given us for this life. God, thank you so much for loving us first. We love you. In your name we pray. Amen. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen.